Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. My name is Rick Renner, and friend, I've been waiting for you, and today we're going to return to one of the most power-packed epistles in the New Testament, and we're offering you my series, which is called Earnestly Contending for the Faith. We're going to really dive deep into this today. You're going to love it, and it comes with a study guide. We're also offering you right now my book, which is called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, and a lot of what I'm going to be teaching today and in the next two days is in this book, and you need this book. But at the end of the program, we're going to tell you how you can get all of these materials. But right now, reach for your Bible, and I want us to go to Jude verse 1. Jude verse 1, and very quickly, we're going to review verse 1 and verse 2, which we've covered in the two previous days. And in verse 1, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. But we've seen that when you read this in the Greek text, it actually states it a little bit differently. So let's look at it again very quickly. Then we're going to look at verse 2 and then we're going to jump right into verse 3. But it begins with the name Jude. And we've seen that Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. We call him the half-brother of Jesus because Jesus and Jude had the same mother, but they did not have the same father. Jude's father was Joseph. Jesus' father was God. But notice he identifies himself as the servant of Jesus Christ. You know, he could have really built on his reputation. He could have said, Jude, the illustrious half-brother of Jesus. But instead he said, I am the servant of of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that that word servant is the word dolos, which was the most abject term for slave in the New Testament. It depicts one who lives his life entirely to do the will of his master. He sold out lock, stock, and barrel to do exclusively anything that he is asked to do by his master. And here James says, I live solely to do the will of Jesus and to fulfill his desires, whatever it is, my job is to faithfully execute the assignments that he has given to me. And that's what we should say about ourselves. Yes, we are the sons and we are the daughters of God. What a privilege. But in attitude, we are to be the servants of God, to do anything that Jesus would ever ask us to do. That's how Denise and I have lived our life. We've taught our sons to live that way, our daughters-in-law, our grandchildren. We are the sons and daughters of God, but in practice, we are the servants of God. That's why we're here doing what we do, because we're fulfilling His will for our life. And I want to ask you, can Jesus say that you are His servant? Many are His sons, but they don't obey Him. They're sons, but they're not servants. We need to aim in our hearts to be the servants of Jesus Christ, just like Jude wrote about himself. And then he identifies himself as the brother of James. That word brother is the Greek word adelphos. It describes him being the natural brother of James. And then he adds, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. Well, that's what the King James Version says. The Greek actually says something different, very importantly. It says, to them that are in God. And the word in in Greek is a little preposition spelled en. You would pronounce it in, 
but it means to them that are deeply embedded in God. And here it describes our position in Christ. My friends, when we made Jesus the Lord of our life, not only did he come into our hearts, but he placed us in Christ and we are deeply embedded inside God the Father. And the King James Version says, sanctified by God the Father. But actually the Greek text says, having been loved, having been loved. And it is a form of the Greek word, Agape. And this word agape is so marvelous that I want to read to you from my notes. The word agape is a word that pictures a divine love that gives and gives and gives, even if it's never responded to, thanked, or acknowledged. It's a love that causes a viewer to behold an object or person in esteem, awe, admiration, and appreciation. Such great respect is awakened in the heart of the observer for the object being observed that he's compelled to love it and do something for it. That's why we read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That word so is important. It dramatizes how great was the love of God. When God looked upon the world, it caused such an awe and admiration to come out of his heart that he couldn't just look at the world in pity for its condition, but his love compelled him to do something on behalf of the world. And now Jude uses this word to tell us we have been loved. God's love for us is nearly indescribable. It is inexpressible. And he says preserved by Jesus Christ. The word preserved is actually a form of the Greek word tereo, and the word tereo means to be guarded, kept, preserved, and protected. And it was the very word which was used to describe a soldier which had been assigned to watch over a particular piece of property. He was going to guard that property, preserve that property. He was going to protect that property because that was his assignment. But the word tereo is also the word that was used to describe the uninterrupted vigilance of a shepherd who was assigned to watch over a sheep or a flock of sheep. He was not going to take his eyes off of those sheep because those sheep were his assignment. He would guard them and he would protect them. And now this word is used to describe how Jesus is watching over me and he's watching over you. My friends, Jesus is watching over you. You're his territory. You're his child. Like a soldier, he's watching over you. Like a shepherd, he's making sure you're all right. And then the verse goes on to say that we are also called. And the word called really describes a VIP invitation that is extended just to very special people, which means if you're a child of God, you're really somebody else. Jesus extended his VIP invitation to you, and you could have never come to salvation unless that salvation invitation had been given to you by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the word called is a form of the Greek word kletos. It means to beckon, to call, to invite or to summon. Now listen, it was often used to convey the idea of those called or invited to an event that was normally closed to the public, and thus an event that one could only participate in by a VIP information. So those who receive such an invitation should view it as a privilege, a prestigious honor to be treasured, to be prized, to be revered, it is an honor to be among those that are 
called. Now that is just amazing. And the RIV of Jude verse 1 is as follows. I'm Jude, first and foremost, a completely sold out, committed, lifelong servant of Jesus Christ. And as true with all such servants, that means I now live solely to do his will and to faithfully carry out any assignment he will ever entrust to me. I'm also the half, the natural born brother of James. But in this letter, I'm writing to those who are in God the Father, to those who are deeply embedded inside him, having experienced the inexpressible, indescribable, unspeakable love of God. I'm talking about privileged people that Jesus Christ has personally extended his VIP invitation to and having accepted that invitation are guarded, kept, preserved, and protected by Jesus Christ who, like a great soldier, faithfully watching over an assignment or like a shepherd who watches over his flock, he is faithfully guarding and keeping watch over each and every one that is under his uninterrupted care. Say amen. That is amazing, my friends. Jesus has his eye on you. Verse to a very small verse, which we're going to amplify greatly. He says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Well, let's begin with that word mercy. The word mercy is the Greek word elios. It can be translated as the word compassion. It can be translated as the word pity. If you're going to simply translate it, it means compassion be to you, pity be to you, but pity by itself isn't really very helpful. Rather, this word mercy, the Greek elios, describes a compassion to do something for someone else, to see them in their need, to see them in their plight and not just wring your hands and say, oh me, oh my, it's so bad, but it is a compassion or it is a pity or a mercy driven to do something to change that person's situation. Then you come to the word peace. And the word peace is the Greek word arane, which is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. And this word peace depicts, listen to this, the cessation of war and end to conflict, a time of rebuilding and reconstruction after war has ceased, distractions removed. It depicts a time of prosperity, the rule of order in the place of peace. It is a calm inner stability that results in the ability to conduct oneself peacefully, even in the midst of circumstances that would normally be traumatic or upsetting. That's the kind of peace that God is extending to me and to you. And then he adds love, mercy unto you and peace and love. And the word love again is the Greek word agape. It describes this inexpressible, indescribable, marvelous love of God. And he says, my prayer is that it be multiplied to you. All three of these, mercy, peace, and grace be multiplied, multiplied from the Greek word plethino, which means to amplify to make full, to increase, to maximize, to rapidly escalate. And if you were to translate all of this correctly, it literally means, and here's the RIV, mercy to you, a mercy that compels God to act on your behalf. And peace be to you, a peace that brings cessation to wars in your life, 
closure to conflicts and removes distractions, allows for a time of rebuilding and reconstruction, ushers in prosperity, fosters the rule of order in the place of chaos, and brings a peace that produces a calm inner stability, which results in the ability to conduct yourself peacefully, even in the midst of circumstances that would normally be traumatic or upsetting. Oh, and I wish for God's love to be multiplied in your life. That is, that this love of God would escalate and abundantly multiply in your life. Now, that is really what Jude verse 2 means. And when you come to Jude verse 3, he begins by saying, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This verse is just jam-packed, and we're going to take it apart. I hope you have something to write with today, a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen, because you're going to want to take notes, and you need to order this series because there's so much in it. But let's begin with the very first word, the word beloved. The word beloved is a Greek word agapetoi. It's a form of the Greek word agape, and here it describes this indescribable, unspeakable, wonderful love of God. And he says, when I gave all diligence to write unto you, gave all diligence is a form of the Greek word spadazo, and listen to this. The word spadazo means to do something with eagerness, to do something with diligence, acting responsibly, quickly, and with attentiveness or one so diligent, excited, and energetic that he puts his whole heart into what he's about to do. It means to do something with excitement, enthusiasm, and haste because it's so important, serious, or urgent to give one's best efforts to a project or a task and to do it enthusiastically. And the reason that I'm telling you all of this is because it means Jude was very, very excited about a letter that he was going to write to his readers about their common salvation. The word common is a form of the Greek word koinos. The word koinos describes something that is mutually shared. It was the very word to describe property that was mutually shared between a husband and a wife. They both had rights to the same piece of property. So that word common describes something that is mutually shared by me. It's mutually shared by you. And he's talking about the benefits of salvation. We have mutually shared benefits of salvation. And the word salvation is a form of the Greek word soterion, which describes present deliverance, present deliverance. Do you need deliverance? It belongs to you. Or healing. Do you need healing? Healing belongs to you. It carries the idea of prosperity, preservation, safety, or general welfare. And Jude was so enthusiastic about writing this epistle about our mutually shared benefits of salvation because, why? It was his half-brother Jesus who died on the cross as the Lamb of God. And Jude's previous plans was to sit down and write an epistle about all of the benefits we have because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. He was so excited about it that he used the Greek word spadadza, which means I was eager, I was excited, I was enthusiastic, I could hardly wait to get to it. I was going to write to you about everything that our salvation entails, all of our mutually shared benefits. And then he says, 
But it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The word needful is a translation of the Greek word anagke. Anagke. Listen to what it means. It denotes an urgent, an urgent necessity. And by using this word, Jude was letting his readers know that he had become aware of something which was so stressful to him that he totally abandoned his plans to write an epistle about salvation and decided to address another matter altogether. What happened? What did he hear that caused him to be so distressed? And the answer is he got a hold of the second letter of Peter. And when he read 2 Peter chapter 2, Jude was so impacted by what he read that he felt he needed to address the same subject. Well, what did he read in 2 Peter chapter 2? Well, let's look at it. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1, Peter wrote these words, and this is what Jude has read. And when Jude has read this and has seen what is happening in the church, he scraps his plans to write a letter about the mutually shared benefits of salvation and chooses instead to address the fact that we need to contend for the faith. Listen to what he read. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And as you continue in Second Peter chapter 2, Peter continues to talk about these men that have very clandestinely come into the church and are beginning to abuse the church with false doctrine and to make merchandise of the people of God. And when Jude read that and read everything else, in 2 Peter chapter 2, and I advise you to read the entire chapter, he said, you know what? I scrapped my plans to write that letter I was so excited about concerning our mutually shared benefits of salvation and found it needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. And the word exhort is a form of the Greek word parakaleo, a word which was used by commanders who spoke to their troops told them to hold their heads high, throw their shoulders back, look the enemy eyeball to eyeball in the faith. He would exhort them to march into the battle. And the very fact that Jude used this word meant he felt as a general in the faith, he needed to charge the troops and tell them it was time for them to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend in Greek is ep agonizomai. Ep is a contraction of the word epi, which means over, and here it's used as an intensifier. The word agonizomai is where we get the word for agony. But when you put these two words together, listen to what it means. It means, are you ready? Here it is. To earnestly agonize over something, it portrays two wrestlers who agonized to win the other over the other in a wrestling match. And in this particular word, it pictures those who are fighting over faith. And here's what we find. False teachers were trying to change 
and modify the message of the gospel. And now James spe Jude speaks as a commander. He says, guys, throw your shoulders back, hold your head high. It's time to march into war and agonize, fight over the truth because the faith is under assault. And if you wanted to translate this part of the verse correctly, the RIV would be as follows. Beloved, I call you that because it's the only word I know to express how deeply I love and cherish you. I fully intended to write to you about our mutually shared salvation. And I was eager to write about this exciting subject and really ready to engage all of my creative abilities to dive deep into all the benefits that our salvation entails. But as I was getting started, I found myself gripped with a sense of urgency and a deeply felt need to address another subject that came to my attention. I felt someone needed to come alongside the troops to urge them to hold their head high, to throw their shoulders back, and if needed, to look the enemy eyeball to eyeball and to earnestly contend for the faith because it is under assault. Now there's more to cover in verse 3, but that's a very good beginning, and this is where we're going to begin again tomorrow. But hey, thank you for being with me today. This has been so good. Tomorrow we're going to dive deeper into this verse and into the next verse. But hey, thank you for being a partner with our ministry. And remember that if you're not a partner, we need you to become a partner with our ministry so we can take this kind of teaching to people all over the world, teaching that they can trust. And the moment you become a partner with our ministry, we're going to send you two books as our way of saying welcome to the partner family. And remember, you can become a partner by going online or by giving us a call. And if you need prayer, reach out to us right now. But now... My announcer is going to tell you how you can get all of these wonderful materials. We are definitely living at the end of the age when many events prophesied long ago are coming to pass. One of those prophesied events is apostasy that will emerge in the church at the end of the age. What exactly does the Bible say about it? And what should be our response to these end time developments? In this crucial series, Earnestly Contending for the Faith, Rick Renner teaches about what the Bible says will occur in the last days and how we are to respond to it. If your desire is to stay on track with God and to stay rooted in His Word, then this is a series you will need to hear again and again so you can get these truths deep into your heart. In this series, Rick covers what it means to earnestly contend for the faith, how God expects us to maintain the purity of the faith, and divine warnings to those who twist the doctrine of grace. This five-part series is available in digital or physical format starting at just $10. And today, we are also offering you Rick's book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, for just $20. In this book, you'll discover what you need to be doing to stay anchored to truth, how to discern right and wrong teaching, and how to be spiritually prepared for living victoriously in these last days. Order this series, Earnestly Contending for the Faith, and the book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. Call the number on your screen now, or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Friends, this is Rick Renner, and I'm standing inside what's going to be the new studio in our TV studio in Moscow. You have given to make this happen. And right now, as you know, prices in Russia are just 
skyrocketing because of what's taking place in our part of the world. I want to say thank you to every one of you that have done something sacrificial to help us buy all the materials we need to finish the interior. We need to wrap this up as fast as we can. Proverbs 10:21 says the lips of the righteous feed many. And I want you to understand that from this spot, we're going to feed people all over the world the Word of God. It's not about a building. We're not interested in buildings. This is an anchor that is pivotal for the proclamation and the distribution of the Word of God to this entire part of the world, and it is so, so needed. And by being a partner with us and being a part of our giving team to wrap this up, every time the signal goes with the Word of God into people's private spaces all over this part of the world, God is going to credit you with part of the reward for what's going to happen because it's your seed, it's your offerings, it's your sacrifices that are helping us to do this. And when people's lives are transformed, it will be credited to your account. And I want to say thank you for everything that you've already done. Thank you for helping us wrap up phase two of this very important project so we can begin to film programs right here and get the teaching of the Bible to people that are famished for it. And I want to say thank you in advance for being a part of our giving team. My friend, today I've been speaking to you for my brand new series, which is called Earnestly Contending for the Faith. The subtitle says, Making the Choice to Maintain Your Faith Regardless of Pressures to Modify It in These Last Days. We are called by God to earnestly contend for the faith. And tomorrow we're going to dive deeper to find out exactly what that means. But this series is just packed. So please order yours today so you can learn what the Word of God has to say to us about contending for the faith in the last days. And it comes with a study guide. And we're also offering you my book, which is called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. The subtitle says, Developing Discernment for These Last Days. And friends, I want to tell you, this is a book that you really need to order. Much of what we're covering in the program this week is in this book and so much more. When I was just browsing through this book before the program began today, even I was amazed and I wrote the book at what is in this book. You need to read it from cover to cover because it will really put you on a firm foundation so you'll be able to recognize what is truth, what is error, and how to earnestly contend for the faith. And please remember that if you need prayer, we want to hear from you. Call us right now. We're waiting for the phone to ring or send us an email. And the moment your email shows up in our inbox, we're going to release our faith for Jesus to step right into your situation. And Father, right now in Jesus' name, I thank you for the wonderful Word of God that speaks to our hearts. I thank you that you speak mercy to us. You speak peace to us. You want your love to rapidly escalate and be multiplied in our life. And you want us to lay hold of the Word of God, not modify it, not alter it, but earnestly contend for it. And we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit inside us to help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I can hardly wait for tomorrow to get here. This is so rich. But until then... 
please remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power. Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. 